since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward. An infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker. The owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. You're Lindsay. I'm Lindsay. You're Aiden. I'm Aiden. <laughs> and uh, this is the Bix Pod, and we are here to talk about Henry the Sixth, a part ado. <laughs> yes. Uh, this episode. Yeah. Um, it is the second of three. It's mm-hmm. the it's the it's the Empire Strikes Back of the Henry the Sixth trilogy. Correct. Um, and actually, that analogy holds up a little does bit. Does it? Because little, does really part one really? No, part one is a new no, hope. Not no, not really. even a little bit. No, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, it's kind of close. It's more uh, like Phantom Menace. <laughs> yes. No, the, the this second is one. The clones? I yeah, I don't yeah, know. I don't but anyways, know. Uh, yeah, it's the second part in this. It's still a very early. We're still in the early days of Shakespeare's uh, writing career. But um, to put your mind at ease, uh, I think Lindsay, it's safe to say you and I both enjoyed this much more than part much one. Much more. Yes, I think we'll have a lot to talk about in this this second part yes. of the Henry trilogy the Henry first Henry, trilogy. yeah the Henry yes. six trilogy yeah um so before we go too far though Lindsay, we're gonna do our customary uh 30 second jeopardy music in the background or whatever non-denominational version of that music we can non-denominational find the free version the free version <laughs> uh for the plot summary of henry the sixth part two yeah it's my turn yep i have 30 sex 30 seconds on the 30 clock. sex 30 sex on the clocks you ready to go <laughs> I, as ready as I'll ever be. Okay, in three, two, one. So the play starts off with the marriage of Henry VI with Margaret of Anjou, um, and we are quickly introduced to a whole bunch of court intrigue involving dukes and his uncles and various earls, um, including the Duke of York, who will eventually become Edward IV. Um, and meanwhile, in the background, there's a rebellion that's come up, paid for by the Duke of York from a, a Kentish gentleman named... Jack Cade, who comes in and ruins a bunch of shit. But anyway, a lot of people die. Lots of heads are lopped off. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Actually, yeah, that was pretty good, I have to say. Uh, right? So well done, Lindsay. Thanks. Um, yes, there are a lot of heads rolling. There's uh, people just spontaneously dying, too. It's, yeah. it's kind of all over the place. Yeah. There's some pirates. There There's are pirates. pirates. I miss the pirates. There are pirates in this play. It and is... witchcraft. Yes. We didn't even think about the witches. I know. So... It's it's pretty jam packed. Yeah. Let's say it. it's also a very long play. Uh, yeah. We watched the BBC presentation. Uh, three, three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. It was three and a half. Oh, total. that's why I fell asleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't quite make it through to the end there, <laughs> as I understood. I was nodding off a little bit too. Um, although the ending is quite quite interesting, actually. But it is, um, and uh, it does make sense that it's a three and a half hour long play because there are fifty two named characters in yeah. the, in by my count. Include and then that doesn't include all the the extras who have yeah you know lines and yeah and there's battle things. scenes that take up extra time and this is the yeah. longest char- character list of any of Shakespeare's plays oh really wow yeah. Yeah. that's very interesting yeah. Uh, but yeah not surprising having read it so it's um it's kind of the preamble still to the Wars of the Roses part one sets up as as you heard on our show a couple weeks ago um sets up like the wars in france and and what was going on in the early days of henry the sixth reign and then we have this one that sets up the immediate 
preamble to what would become the Wars of the Roses. So it begins with with the marriage of Henry VI and uh, Margaret of Anjou yeah. and ends with the First Battle of St. Albans in 1455, which, I mean, the part three is going to take us through the kind of the bloody aftermath of the start. Yeah. Can there be an aftermath <laughs> to the start? It's true. But yeah, so so we're still in early days, but the, the court intrigue is what gets things really interesting yeah. or what makes things really interesting here. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it is one of Shakespeare's earlier plays right. still, uh, probably written around 1591-ish. Yeah, think. I read as late as 1594, but it yeah. would have, it it made it into, um, there are certain places where a play called Harry the Sixth, I think, mm-hmm. is written in the, the register, the stationer's register, okay. um, which is probably this place, and that predates 1594. But anyway, it was probably the first of the, yeah, this some... trilogy that was performed. Yeah. Um, and then Aiden, I think you said that part three came next and then part one was written afterwards. So we're we're, published or put on afterwards at least. Yeah. Um, so we're doing these out of order. We're doing them out of written order, but in chronological order. Nobody knows the order for sure. So we've just made our best guess. We wanted to do them all as kind of, uh, one continuous, uh, unit. So we're, we're, we are going through them part one, part two, part three. Um, that might not have been the order they were, uh, published and done in. This might've just been Henry the sixth. And then there was Henry six again. And then there was Henry six, the prequel. Like we don't really know, but, uh, but this is the one that, I mean, um, if I remember correctly, this was the play that people were really excited about. They really wanted to see more. Cause they, I mean, these were characters, the characters that we see were actually based on real people that loomed large in the English mythos. Right. So, um, so it's it's kind of one of those early blockbusters. I think I read that it it brought in like three pounds at the box office, yeah, which, which was a, a huge yeah. success at the time, it was right? A penny for everybody, right? Basically, so, I yeah, think four was, pennies for the yeah, for the best seats, for the best right? seats, yeah. right? So, so I mean, yeah, this is a lot of money they were bringing in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess do you want to kind of start with yeah? Well, I mean, analysis. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of ways of looking at the play. It is primarily about. Uh, court intrigue it is essentially non-stop uh right from scheming the, yeah it's scheming exactly it starts off really well because henry comes in he's introduced to his wife they're kind of like coronated a little bit not really coronated but they're they're well they're, they're celebrating they're married and, and it, this was a weird thing that happened back then you could marry somebody in absentia yeah. so he sends suffolk to marry the, the person he makes the earl of suffolk yeah right earl of suffolk Duke i think suffolk? so Suffolk. Duke. No, he's Duke. Duke of Suffolk. Sends him off to marry Margaret and then brings her back and transfers the marriage to Henry in this ceremony, which is like, it happened, right? This was something that happened all the time. Kings couldn't always leave their realm. Yeah. Um, But this is the first time they met. And of course, we know from part one that Margaret and Suffolk have already fallen in love. Yeah. And are conducting an affair that Henry kind of seems to be aware of by the end of the the story a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> if there if there's any awareness there yeah. um but yeah so that's how it kind of starts and then right away there's like literally in that first scene we like the king and queen leave and there's this whole yeah, conversation about like, well fuck that guy he doesn't know <laughs> how to be a king well and yeah and and, and this they, woman is corrupting him and not only that she corrupted him but but she comes with no dowry yeah. and they had to give up maine and anjou sorry maine and yeah, anjou. anjou yeah, yeah for, to the the king's the king of france right yeah. and and it's like all this territory that people like talbot who died fighting in france and gloucester and york they've all fought these battles and they're all pissed off now because they've given the king has given this away to marry this woman 
who brings no who advantage brings whatsoever to the to the country, which is so. unusual. But yeah. he, it sets up that Henry the Sixth is really this inept ruler who oh. can't figure anything out. Yeah, I, Henry's kind of an interesting character in this, and I think we'll come back to that. But uh, he's yeah, he is right from the start uh, displaying the the lack of uh, awareness that that kind of defines his his role within both the history plays and when we talked about it in our war of the roses episode yeah. uh, we were pretty clear about you know he really was an inept ruler who yeah. was far more interested in simpler things like yeah. monasteries and uh reading scripture and so yeah. forth he was he was a man of god not necessarily yes and that's uh, mentioned king. in the play i think at yeah. one point somebody says that his hand shouldn't hold the staff but should hold a palmer's rod yeah. or something yeah. like that yeah um, yeah, so he is he is an interesting character, um, but it, it that power vacuum is very, very evident here because all the nobles at play, there's Duke of York, who you mentioned, uh, who eventually, his son actually becomes Edward the, the Fourth, not him. Oh, right, you're uh, right, you're right. But, uh, and his, uh, Richard, his other son also becomes Richard the uh, Third. But there's uh, them, there's uh, Gloucester, who is kind of, who was the Lord Protector and has been basically running the show. Yeah, um, Henry the Sixth's uncle. Yep, uh, who gets stabbed in the back by all, everybody else yes. uh, because they all want the power for themselves. Yeah. Uh, since Henry's not obviously going to step up and take it, there's Margaret and Suffolk. Uh, there's uh, the Cardinal, I forget which one. Winchester. His, Winchester. Uh, so he's in there as well, plotting Also and an uncle of the king. Yes, yeah. And they're, they're they're, they're not just against the king, they're against each other. So there are these yeah. rival factions, as we saw with the, the Lancaster-York uh, picking the roses thing. Yeah. Um, these are characters who have... Um, long-standing grudges. Really long-standing stuff. grudges, which we don't really understand, but, but it influences everything they say. Even if they're fighting to uh, unseat the king, they have their own idea of who should be the one to take over. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are various people who, like, I think Margaret and Suffolk have designs on the throne. The Duke of York has designs on the throne. Um, there's all, you know, Warwick, who shows yeah. up and is Supports, at first aligned yeah. with Henry, but then yeah. switches allegiance to York, as we talked about in our Wars of the Roses episode. Warwick, the kingmaker. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think he has designs on the throne himself, but he's willing to make it happen for yeah. his chosen candidate. Yeah. So there's all this backstabbing going on. And in the background of all of this is uh, is this inept Henry VI, who <laughs> is, I mean, I think we mentioned it. The, the version that we watched was the BBC version. Mm-hmm. It's the same actors from the previous, part from one, part yeah. one. Because nobody had ever puts on Henry VI. This <laughs> yep. is probably the only version that will ever be put to film. Um, but he's played by like a guy who looks like he's at least 35, probably no, 55. 50, yeah. He's quite old. Um, why does he need a protectorship? Why is there? Yeah. And that's a question that comes up a lot too. But he kind of bumbles around and literally and, and acts like a child and then is um, literally emasculated, I think. Yeah. In, in, well, maybe not literally. Not literally emasculated. <laughs> yeah, okay, he's yeah. figuratively he's emasculated. emasculated, literally, yeah. <laughs> um, by his wife and all the people around him. So so it just, this is this is what makes this play so much more interesting than the first one is that it gets to the heart of this, it's a character study of mm-hmm. these people, these mythical people from England's history that um, they're portrayed in somewhat black and white terms it's not as nuanced as later plays but but there's so much depth to some of these characters and, yeah. and even if we don't understand what's going on why they hate each other why does somerset and and uh somerset and york right why yeah, do they hate yeah. each other so yeah. much it's just because they're lancaster york I guess. fight going yeah, on right maybe. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because we we believe that york has this deep burning hatred hatred yeah. Yeah. And then also there's all the commoners that come into play. This is actually a really yes. interesting play for portraying the commons yes. as they're referred to. Because you, you mentioned uh, 
uh, not prizing him, Jack Cade. And that, yeah. that is actually the whole fourth act of the play. It's a substantial portion of the play. It's probably in an hour or so of yeah. Jack Cade's Rebellion, which yeah. was a big historical event. Mm-hmm. Um, some believe, I don't even, I don't know. I can't remember if it was definitively proved that uh, Duke of, the Duke of York actually set it in motion or if that was just rumored at the time right. or if there That's were That's how it's portrayed in the play. In the play, it's definitely set up that way, that, that uh, York goes to Ireland to put down some Irish rebels. And in the meantime, he starts his own rebellion with this guy. Jack yeah, to Cade. try and figure out if, if the people would warm to the idea of a York yes. king, yes. Yorkist king. Yes, and it, and it winds up working essentially. But Although not, not because Jack Cade is any great... Uh, well, not in this we'll, play. We'll talk about Yeah, Jack we can Cade. talk about he's, Jack Cade, He's an too. interesting fella. Life with a walking shadow. But I think, uh, uh, above all else, the, the, the play is really concerned about, you know, the nature of power. Yeah. And the source of where power comes from and how it's, how it's used and how it's abused and uh, whether or not it can be used for good or not um, is kind of the moral question of the play because everybody is pretty evil. I think the uh, the one exception to the everybody's evil kind of rule is Henry the Sixth himself. Right. Um, he's just dumb. He's just dumb, and that's and that's like the interesting part about him is because uh, he's not just dumb. He's dumb but pious, and right. and, and that combination is is interesting to me because I feel like uh, in some ways that's the uh, the typical. Or the epitome of a good Shakespearean times person in England. Has to be dumb and pious. Pious, yes, and not to question authority too much. Right. So dumb, okay, <laughs> you know. Like okay. I feel like that's a, that's a combination that that's really encouraged in uh, Elizabethan times, and we have it represented in a king. So it's it's very much a kind of subversion of that because you don't want the king to be in that role. Um, but he's he's the one character that you kind of feel bad for in the yeah. play because he he's literally just tossed here and there, and his his uncle uh, when Gloucester is killed and murdered, mm-hmm. you know he he hurts you you feel the pain for henry the sixth uh the one person who was looking out for his best interests uh is is suddenly gone and he was so ineffectual henry was at preventing all of that even though he felt that his uncle was innocent he was so ineffectual at being able to stop the machinations of the people around him Mm -hmm. um because he was he's so um malleable i guess i don't know a better word for it but yeah, so it's it's it does make you feel kind of bad for him. Yeah, but it's it's also like a really big uh, question mark over the whole uh, king as absolute ruler kind of system, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if, if all it takes is one guy who's just a nice guy and who really loves God to you know to cause a realm to fall into disarray like this, and it, right. it really is kind of presented that way that he is so inert and uh, incapable that. Uh, all this, all these machinations that are going on in the background can flourish into the civil war that we know mm-hmm. as the Wars of the Roses, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's kind of indictment of the system at that. If you look at it that way, it, it is especially when you put it against um, what happens with Jack Cade's rebellion, mm-hmm. um, which is an uprising of the people that was designed by a, a nobleman, yeah, ostensibly in the yeah. play. Um, but it represents the best and the worst of the common people, I think, to assert their own authority. Um, while at the same time, yeah, you're right, condemning the system that's in place of hereditary rule. And and we have that brought up when York makes his claim to, I don't remember who it was. There are so many names, 53 yeah. characters. Yeah. I don't remember who he makes I think the, it was Warwick and his dad. To. When he explains his lineage yeah, and everything. Yeah, he explains yeah. his lineage and yeah. this long drawn-up thing. Yeah. And, well, Warwick is there for yeah. sure, but... Yeah. Um, when he explains how, you know, the the 
patrilineal descent works and it's but it's not patrilineal it's not, it's <laughs> not patrilineal yeah. and and so there's he's questioning that which is the way it's always been but yeah. he's questioning that and so there's the seeds of of what would what would eventually come about in the the english civil war and the glorious revolution yeah. that that happened in the in the 17th century yeah. the seeds of it are starting to to happen here and as, as you know you would expect these things to start percolating exactly and, and it's interesting that he even references the the real the source of all that which is richard ii's deposition mm-hmm. and murder eventually mm-hmm. uh because uh by henry the fourth right uh so again these those events are so present in in the minds of these characters that they they've really started to question yep you know the divine right of kings the divine right of kings and who who has the right to rule yeah. um and Henry VI seems very much to believe in the divine right of kings of because he's he is that pious character who believes yeah. that God has uh, given him the granted him the, the privilege of, of ruling over England, mm-hmm. and therefore it can't be taken away by anybody, right. um, except for maybe by God. And it's that's one thing that's interesting about Henry VI's character is that he kind of like how many times were there where he turns like halfway to the camera and pray and praises God and like looks up to it in the depict in the, in the in, vision yeah. version that we watched, but even in the play, in like the, play, he, the, he the text, these, he makes these prayers to all God the time. all the time, but he never really questions, huh, maybe God's punishing me for not being a good king. Well, yeah. And I mean, we can talk a little bit about the way that, um, the way that the supernatural, and I'm going to include mm-hmm. the religious aspect in that too, um, because there is that supernatural element with Marjorie Jourdain yeah. and Eleanor of Gloucester's um, whole yeah, the, thing yeah, with thing the to, yeah doom their enemies, and yeah. and then when when the bad stuff starts happening, when it when it's discovered that Gloucester has been murdered, Suffolk is arrested and sent away, and Bishop Winchester dies in his bed very mysteriously. It's almost like there's this, like, your chicken's coming home to roost kind of thing, Um, while Mm. the witchcraft element ends up coming true. So it's like God has forsaken the... the yeah, the bad the Christian, guys, yeah, the exactly. Christian yeah, king yeah, yeah. and yeah. his the people he surrounded him with, he surrounded himself with, and then there's this devilish witchcraft yeah, element that which is true that's actually come true. Yeah. So there's some there's some interesting stuff going on there. It's not that it's it's saying that witchcraft is a good thing, but when you have yeah it. it it's just interesting. It's yeah. It's kind of begging the question to the audience of like, well, which one's more powerful, the right. Christian God who you know the pious good man is not you know he's not having his prayers answered, but right. the the evil witches are you know cap- capable of getting their will done. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they all get arrested and killed, and you know that's yeah. Not everything comes not true, everything comes, but, but well, well, within the context of the the larger history, it, it does. Yes, and most of the big ones yes. do. Um, but it is it is interesting to kind yeah. of pose that question of where where is the religious spiritual power actually right. uh, where does it actually lay and perhaps the moral from Shakespeare's time would have been something like when there is evil at the top of the of the kingdom right. uh, God can't come in and sure. save things right sure. maybe that's yeah. how you could have written it off but um, yeah Henry's character within that context is kind of kind of interesting um, I wanted to move on to the the. There's kind of other interpretations of how power works mm-hmm. um, and how it should work. Uh, and the big one of how it should work uh, is Gloucester himself. Right. Um, because he is a strong believer in the rule of law. Yes. Um, he, right, almost right to the end, he's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong, so I have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, he literally tells his wife that as she's being marched off to the Isle of Man for her witchcraft ways. Um, 
But then right before all the he's arrested and all the accusations are levied against him, he says the same thing. Like, I'm I'm basically I'm innocent. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to worry about. Oh, even right before his death, when he's murdered in his bed um, the night before his trial for yeah. crimes he hasn't yet committed, yeah. which is yeah. something we'll get into when we talk about the legal aspects of this play. Um, he, the, the murderers say, did you ever see somebody so pious so you know he was so penitent there was there was nothing he did nothing wrong and gloucester did nothing wrong and and yet he still is has this punishment meted out which i think it's margaret or one of them says that it's um uh god's secret punishment or god's something like he's he's already condemned him before his trial by killing him yeah even though it was actually Suffolk who, you know, sent some <laughs> yeah, men sent in there to, kill him, to yeah. kill him. But um, so, yeah, like to the end, you're right. He is just completely and totally innocent and protests his innocence and believes in the power of his king, his nephew, to assert his innocence. Yeah. And that it, that belief is mislaid. Yeah. So what about Gloucester's power base, do you think? Well, yeah, I... I... I think just the fact that he he relies on the institutions of the English crown mm-hmm. um, to see him through, and then not realizing that there are that it requires people to operate the institutions. Right. So, like he he does, he counts on Henry the Sixth to step in and provide a fair trial, and he will find him innocent. Right. Uh, and you know that that's also proven false. Just the yeah. way Henry's belief in God uh, will providing the the right answer right. also proves a little false. Um, so so Gloucester's this. Um, a more grounded figure, but he still believes in in the higher power of uh, human constructions mm-hmm. that and they'll operate properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's killed for it. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, killed almost for his unending, undying belief in this kingly right. Of, yeah, you know, and yeah. and and God's right to yeah. assert authority. Yeah, through the king. Yeah, uh, and effectively. Yeah, that's you know, interesting. Manage things. That's yeah. interesting. Um, and then there's another kind of world of, and it's kind of an interesting one because I don't know if it's actually about power so much as it is, uh, uh, it kind of is, I guess. So it's, I'm, I'm bringing up the characters of uh, Queen Margaret and Suffolk, yep. so her her lover, Duke, dude. Um, they, they almost, they fall into a really weird space where their whole world is each other, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all they really care about. That's all that everything operates on. Right. Um, and how that works is because of their high position. So yeah. they're, they're very much, they they believe power comes from the titles themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, the queen, I, she, how many times does she say like, am I a queen or am I just some side hoe for the king? Like, you know, <laughs> she's, basically she's she's complaining about, well, my, I'm a queen. I should get whatever I want. Right. And she, there should not be a protector because yeah. we're now the, yeah. beholden to some duke. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and, yeah. and it, yeah, you're absolutely right. She's buying into the titles exactly yeah and she slaps the the duchess yeah the duchess like that was quite a power move um and suffolk the biggest example of that for him is when he's captured by the pirates right they're about to kill him and he's like you can't kill me i'm a duke don't you know who i am yeah (laughs) right up to the end like literally his last words are about himself like he's talking about how all these great men have been killed by uh lower creatures from you know uh brutus murdered uh Caesar, Caesar and all these other yeah. ones from Pompey and everybody else from uh, ancient Rome. Uh, and he's complaining about this and then they cut off his head and he's, and the pirate is like, yeah, well you were killed by a pirate. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it exactly. was, it was really kind of interesting to th- see him hold on to these, these titles being everything as if they would themselves uh, just the words would grant him protection and power. Yeah. And it, that also proves 
<laughs> way off base. Yeah, it's a it's an another belief in something that's a human construct that really only matters to a certain subset of people. And and as this play is so concerned with the common folk, yeah, who could care less. Mm-hmm. No couldn't care less that's the phrase <laughs> they could not care less yeah. about what title you have yeah. um well they, especially when they you've wronged them like, yeah they, exactly like he the pirates are like you're the guy who gave away anjou and maine to the french yeah. we hate the french yeah we're gonna kill you now because yeah. we got you like, right and is that so simple? it's 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 bizarre but it fits with this i think you're right the the power the way that power is meted out and the way that power is um the way that people imbue themselves with power that maybe they don't deserve mm-hmm. and um, and what they believe in versus what actual power they have yeah um, in the situation in the situations in, right? that they're in and, that, and that's really interesting because it I mean again uh, if you haven't listened to our Game of Thrones <laughs> It's not Game of Thrones, sorry. Well, it kind of is. It was the Wars of the Roses episode where we brought up Game of Thrones many yeah, times. And almost all the, and half all the, of it. Exactly. <laughs> and all the all the backstabbing, all the power plays that work. Yeah. This play is actually very, very similar to that because yeah. you see uh, the way power shifts yep. and moves from individual to individual. And, uh, you know, Gloucester starts off. He's the Lord Protector. He's going to fight for England and he's going to retake France. That's his end goal. And then everybody stabs him in the back. Yeah. Uh, and then they start doing their own power plays against yep. one another from there uh, even the king can't be powerful i mean it doesn't help that the yeah. king isn't is inept completely but but even if in this situation where the divine right of kings is established and is the rule of the land mm-hmm. he can't even hold on to the power he's he's yep. he's manipulated so the title of king can't even protect him from these things because, so how yeah. can it protect anybody else yeah Right. And I mean, yeah, he was he was the king of France, and now he has no holdings in yeah. France by the and end. And he's of this. barely even the king of, of England. By yeah. the end, his wife is leading the battles, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's it's very much, yeah, a very interesting look at the way that power can switch back and forth depending and, on the situation. And and I think the most interesting character exploration of this is York himself, who's sure. you know straight up he's. Uh, well, we can we can talk about this, I think, at the end. But I think he's one of the main characters mm. of the play. Um, and he does have a lot of, like, asides. And he talks to the to the audience uh, quite directly as a couple of um, monologues and so forth. Um, but he has the most practical sense of power. It's right. it's at the end of a pointy stick. You know, it's, it's again, going back to that Game of Thrones <laughs> reference, it's the scene with Cersei and Littlefinger where he says, knowledge is power. And she says, no, power is power. <laughs> and then she shows him, you know, she can kill him at any time she wants because right. she has power right. um and york uses that effectively because he is you know when he's sent off to ireland he's like oh well i'm getting shifted out of the seat of power i'm moving out of you know the capital where all the the decisions are being made but i'm being granted an army yeah hmm, what could i use that yes exactly. <laughs> and then he comes back with this massive army and he fights and wins the battle of st albans which right. eventually leads to his family taking the throne right so He's he's the most grounded one uh, in this in this large swath of characters and how they interpret and use power. His is very much no. It's whoever has the biggest army wins, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that was uh, effective. Yeah, well, it's not just effective, but it's interesting that Shakespeare had this wide array of characters in a play concerned with you know where does the English crown lie and right. where does the power from it sit. Um, he has this huge, vast thing. And then the winner winds up being the one who's the most realistic, the most grounded, the most factual about, you know. Which is interesting because it's not who ends up 
sitting on the throne. It's no, not that lineage true. that that leads to the the throne at the time. Yeah. It's a Tudor who was descended from the last yeah. Lancastrian king. Yeah. So it's um it's interesting that that is the choice that's made, but it's history, right? And, mm-hmm. and well, ostensibly. Yeah. Um, history ish. History adjacent. <laughs> um but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think when you have a character as um ineffective as Henry the Sixth, you mm-hmm. have to have a foil for that. And that that foil comes yeah. in as the Duke of York. And that really sets up the two sides of it. I think Henry accidentally sides with the Lancastrians by yeah. picking a red rose. Um it's not even a choice that he makes, but yeah. it but it works out because then you can see how um who's on the king's side who's on the duke of york side by the end of this play the those lines are being very clearly drawn um so you need to have there to there needs to be a another side to this you need to have more power and of course even though he's the king you're gonna want to follow the guy who knows what he's doing into battle so so it really does set you up for the duke of york kind of to be the protagonist almost in yeah, a way yeah. because he's the one who who understands how to work things he's the most interesting he's manipulative and yeah. cunning he's smart he knows when to back off like when he when he yeah. shows up in london with his with his big army yeah. and and is ready to take the, the crown yeah. he has a moment to think about it. he's like no 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 I'll, I'll say this instead oh i'm here to unseat somerset yeah. because you know and, and because he knows how to play people yeah and it's only when he runs out of options and realizes he's been lied to that he that he goes full bore into yeah the, the his battle. his battle and, and usurping the king essentially yeah, right. by, by force right yeah. so uh, yeah no he is he's also an interesting character in this which mm-hmm. is again mm-hmm. that's something we could say about <laughs> the last uh, part one characters were kind of flat and and uninteresting well, and so concerned with the violence and stuff i think that's where the strength is is that it's it's not depicting a bunch of random battles in france yeah. it's not depicting um like it, it, it's primarily concerned with those human elements and that's where shakespeare is always really shone is mm-hmm. is with these the the human moments and the character moments when when you have court intrigue that's yeah. fascinating shit right yeah. it's it, the best scenes in in part one were with Joan of Arc yeah. and all the things that yeah, were happening with true. Joan of Arc yeah. right that's where you can get that fancy wordplay and you can have all those yeah. those really interesting scenes well, when the it's insults battle and scene. stuff like yeah exactly right <laughs> there's so many good insults in this episode. yeah <laughs> it's crazy but when you have just just a bunch of battles it's yeah. not really interesting like the Jack Cade stuff is is not super interesting. No. It, there are some elements, yeah. It it depicts um, like a common revolt, yeah, and uh, and in a not unsympathetic light. There are right. there is some sympathy there. There's also a lot of making fun of the common revolt, but well, we, we let's talk about Jack Cade yeah. in, a, in a sec. Mm-hmm. I, I, you and you already touched on my next point that I wanted to bring up, which was the the play is very episodic. There, mm-hmm. There's a very structured um, kind of movement to it. It's yeah. it starts off with that whole. Uh, the whole Gloucester saga, you know, yeah. everything from him being, you know, him uh, wanting to help the king to everybody agreeing that they need to stab Gloucester in the back to getting him arrested. Yeah. And, we, and, and, and his wife's episode oh, yeah, fits yeah, into that. The, we haven't yeah. even talked about Eleanor yeah, where true. she she is this ambitious woman who wants her husband to sit on the throne. And, and he is next in line. If Henry he is dies, next in way. line. But um, she hires some or is is tempted to hire 
eventually does hire yeah. <laughs> some, um, some necromancers witches, yeah. and witches to divine, bring a spirit forth, conjure a spirit so that they can tell the future. It's very Macbeth. Yes. It's very proto very Macbeth. Macbeth yeah. um, and Eleanor is very proto uh, Lady Macbeth. Lady Macbeth. Yeah. Like um, she literally says, I, if I were unsexed, yes, you know, kind of thing. Yes, basically, right? Yeah. Like there's some really interesting stuff going on there. But um, but yeah, her downfall doesn't touch Gloucester as he's so pragmatic about yeah. and, and so um, patriotic. No, that's not the word. He He's... Devoted? De- I guess like devoted, devoted to the, to the king yeah. and devoted to the crown that his wife is being led off to exile on the Isle of Man. And he's like, well, you know, you shouldn't have, <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't shouldn't have, done, that, shouldn't have done that. Right? That was bad. And so, so that kind of, even though he's eventually tarred with that brush, um, he's he's so devoted to the king yeah. that, um, and, and that's basically what the first two, three acts is, is all basically yep. Gloucester's fall from fall grace. From grace. And, and it, it really doesn't even end until uh, the Cardinal again, uh, Winchester, Winchester. Uh, finally dies as well. Yeah. Um, basically from, uh, you know, uh, a guilty conscience, essentially. That's what, what it seems, fe- like, seems like. Right? He just dies in bed because, and he's talking about, oh, I can see him and he's choked. And they, he describes again the way yeah. uh, Gloucester uh, Gloucester's murdered. dead body is described, yeah, earlier yeah. in the play. So it's it's interesting. And then that's just kind of ended. Yeah, it, it ends and we move into, it literally, like, the, the scene ends and then there's this, oh, there's this rebellion in Ireland. We have to go. Yeah. So York is sent away, but then he sets the wheels in motion for this Jack Cade thing. Yeah. Um, well, and in between, there's, there's also this whole Suffolk and the Queen oh, yeah. saga. Like, they have this whole long parting scene where they're just you know declaring their love for each other uh and then he gets captured by the pirates and killed and then that's the end of suffolk yeah and then then it moves on to yeah the wheels have been set in motion jack cade's whole thing which is again i mentioned and then and then he's the main character i think it's act pretty much all of act four as you said there's like 10 scenes or something in act four and and they're all jack cade in various places he's um executing people who can read and write yeah. he's going through the towns and and declaring that the parliament will sit with him the laws will come from his, his mouth, mouth and yeah. and he's this uneducated rube who is assuming the role of john mortimer to try and as you know directed by the duke of york yeah. um in order to sway the people in a certain way and kind of gauge the reaction of them to having this other king other figure. king yeah, yeah um and so but but he's completely uneducated and it's it's really he's a man of the people quote unquote yeah. who's trying to elevate himself very unsuccessfully because he's he's not as well spoken as he thinks he is but um and that's that's basically the the whole of act four is yeah. his him arriving and all the way to his death Downfall, yeah literally happens in an act i yeah, think yeah, right yeah so. it's, i mean it's a long act but it is it's this whole arc that comes and goes mm-hmm. um and then the fifth part is essentially the invasion from the duke of york yeah. to with his irish bound army and the battle of st albans and yeah. then it ends immediately after that so yeah. there are these like four distinct story pieces yeah. to it uh that all kind of they are tied together in this in this story of intrigue yes. and uh the game of thrones-esque uh, <laughs> play but it's 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 not um it's not it's not a cohesive play in the sense that there's one central character who you follow through a journey it's not a yeah Hamlet there's not or a, a, an a, a plot yeah. and a b plot yeah. there's 
A, B, C, or A1, A2, A3, yeah. A4 class, yeah. really. Really. Um, and I guess that's how you have to do history because these are things that actually happened. So you have to pay some kind of homage to it. Yeah. But um, Well, and, but and we complained about it a bit in part one too, that they were, it kind of felt like that. But part, one, part one didn't feel like this. This felt like there was some, some general thrust of like a forward momentum to yeah, the story, to the story yeah. whereas part one just felt like there were a bunch of towns that were shifting back and from forth Britain and to France from or English control to French control yeah. um and then a few character moments with yeah, Talbot and throughout. Joan of Arc yeah. sprinkled yeah there was nothing really um yeah human fascinating about, about it yeah exactly. whereas this even though it is kind of separate and they are these very discrete stories um they all kind of tie together and they all work towards some some goal of leading towards this inevitability of the, the Wars of the Roses and the First Battle of St. Albans. Yeah. Why, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrown upon them. Uh, so you, you, you talked about Jackie Delia, but I, I want to come back to him just now quickly because uh, he is another kind of alternative source of power right which is the people yeah um and the people actually come in and at one point earlier in the play they come in and i think they either save gloucester or they want to kill somerset or oh no yeah they're <laughs> the ones who get suffolk uh sent out of yes. the country yeah uh because they rise up and the king's like oh don't want to deal with that suffolk you're gone yeah even though the queen's like no well, yeah they're like to. uh so i don't remember gloucester's who, died exactly yeah. and the, the people come in a few pages later and yeah. they're like you know we we've heard that he's dead and we think Suffolk did it yeah. um and <laughs> yeah. and they're gonna tear him limb from limb if you don't do something yeah. and that's that's what know, finally prompts capitulating the king, yeah. to the to the will of a mob yeah a mob of people is something that if you if you remember back in the, the wars of the roses um episode that we did there were um when the peasants revolt happened mm-hmm. you had moments where the mob was not appeased but they were they were granted a little bit of power and and i think even though the main conspirators and the main bad baddies i guess quote unquote were put down in those rebellions um watt tyler and and his cohort um that carries through that's this is now almost 100 years later 75 years later or whatever uh you have this this moment of um the people rising up mm-hmm. and the king realizing that we can't. Well, and it's after Magna Carta too, so you can't just ignore when the people are banging down your door. But, but the fact that that it's taken so seriously, mm-hmm. and that we later see um, Jackie leading yeah. these people from Kent all the way through, um, I think it kind of it's a different depiction of the common people. Yeah. The commons, as they're yeah. called. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's an interesting one because um, they're depl- they're displayed, especially Jack Cade himself, as really, really, like, ignorant. Like, it's Luddism, like, in its most yeah. extreme. Like, he doesn't like people who can write. He burns a guy for having a windmill or a yeah, paper mill. A paper mill, And, yeah. you know, making paper and... and he hangs <laughs> a... a, a- priest or yeah, something a clerk or something uh, yeah, yeah for yeah. for being able to write his name being able to write his name and <laughs> copying notes for schoolboys, yeah, right yeah with his ink horn around his neck he's he's gonna hang him right because it's it it actually reminds me a lot of what's happening in modern day right now with this anti-intellectualism yeah. that's what jack cade's rebellion reminds me of yeah. is this quote-unquote trumpist yeah. kind of uh, Popul- swing yeah, populism yeah yeah well, revolt and, it, and it's interesting because uh <laughs> because like the the 
in the play, when I was reading the text and Lindsay, you can let me know if you read it the same way. But when I was reading it, I felt like Jack believed all the things he was saying. Yes. But then in the in the film version, uh, they passed off as most of his terrible ideas were kind of jokes that everybody knew was were too stupid. Like, yeah. like there's a passage here where he says there will be uh, there will be reformation. There shall be in England seven halfpenny loaves sold for a penny. Mm-hmm. The three hoops popped shall have ten hoops and I will make it a felony to drink small beer. Right. Like he's and then he says he's going to have his horse in Cheapside, like in a yeah. pasture, like yeah. Cheapside is center of London. Like yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. way that like he's he has no idea, but. Does he believe that what he's saying is well, he that? And, and that's the thing. It's in the text, at least I read it as being that it was the audience was supposed to realize, oh, this guy's so stupid. But, you know, people might believe it because he's he's well, telling a good tale. Yeah. But in the in the production, they make it seem like, well, he's just making he's kind of he's making light of populism almost. Mm. He's he's saying like, well, I can do all these things, but, you know, I can. So let's just go kill the nobles because we don't like them. I didn't get that from the production that we watched. Really? But, well, there were some people in the crowd who seemed to be the the kind of wink at the camera, wink at the audience yeah. kind of thing. But I don't think they represented the main thoughts of the people. I think it was kind of like an intelligent, mm. an intelligent observer, an objective intelligent observer who is coming in and saying, we shouldn't be believing what Jack Kate is saying. He's leading these people along because he can say anything and they'll believe him. He'll he'll say that a three hoop pot can be ten hoops because yeah. Even though that doesn't make any sense, um, they'll believe him because he's a he's a uh, charismatic one of us. He's one of us, yeah. even though he lists off his lineage and he's descended <laughs> from the Lacys and this and yeah, that and yeah. whatever. But he presents himself as being one of the people and, and that's how he commands a crowd. And then there are these other people who are like, wink, wink, I knew him when he was whipped in this town square last yeah, week, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so... I, I'm not 100% sure how that... Yeah. Maybe that's that's a choice depending on how you produce it, Well, yeah, it, right? I, I would think so. Because when I remember reading it, I remember thinking like, yeah, he's he's too stupid. But everybody, And everybody kind of is... The rest of the commons are aware that he's he's crazy and his promises don't make any sense. So they comment on it to each other and, and to the audience. Um, but they still follow him because they want to believe in him mm. they want to believe that they, there could be a better world where everybody can be brothers and they don't have to wear ratty clothes they can yeah be the, same the as king the will pay for everything yeah exactly right um so i think it's i think it was uh it is an interesting way i think you can you can slice it a couple of different ways um but i thought it was particularly interesting because he's basically roasting jack Cade and and other simple-minded people especially for the lack of like for hating writing and stuff like that yeah. as a as a writer i think yeah. that was yeah very when, when jack Cade rails against nouns and verbs and you just think as a writer no christian would ever yeah. understand yeah you know as a writer to write that there has to be a little bit of taking the piss yeah, right yeah. that's not something he's saying but it, but i thought it was honestly. kind of funny because like a lot of the people who were coming to this play right. would have been thinking that like oh i don't need to read and right that's just stupid stuff right and well, they might not, even, they might not even think that they're being made, <laughs> made fun, fun of, of. and yeah. i think that's the point is that the common yeah. the commons are depicted as a little bit rubbish um bumpkins they're not and and when when Cade's rebellion is um kind of broken up when the king's men come in and they're like actually you should follow the king like would you rather follow jack Cade or the son of henry v who is this great leader and they're all like oh god save the king because they're dumb and they follow like i don't know that 
I don't know that there's enough irony and self-awareness in, in, in that the, the scenes yeah. or in that group that's given to that group to allow them to have that the ability to to switch allegiance like that knowingly seems, yeah. yeah yeah they're not they're not doing it for some ulterior motive they're doing it because they're easily swayed yeah and, and maybe that's yeah, and kate is playing them like a fiddle and so are the king's men yeah. and i and i don't think that the audience members would have necessarily picked up on it they would have they probably don't see themselves in those commoners i right? guess yeah yeah so well maybe yeah <laughs> you know that's a good point yeah but but no, yeah yeah and i i i think it's interesting though that the commons is presented as this alternative source of power. And it's the one that ultimately kind of, uh, not, not necessarily, it is not the one that takes hold. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is always there looming as, as a threat. Right. And I think, uh, you know, that's something that, uh, England is, is uniquely, uh, poised to encounter when the, uh, the uh, 17th century does come around and mm-hmm. there is a common revolt and it's led and you know the Oliver Cromwell is crowned the Lord, Lord Protector, Protector of, all of England. yeah exactly and he's he's not you know he's not a king you know but yeah. he is he has that source of power and it's it's the Leviathan that comes out later on and it's just interesting that Shakespeare here portrays it as this kind of almost fifth I think that's we're up to five now uh, way of interpreting power right. as just the masses of people giving their consent to the governed again, right? Right. Uh, right. And it's it's again just interesting that there's all these different things at play in this mm-hmm. one play mm-hmm. that's really really focused on this topic. And I guess another we didn't really talk about this yet either, but um, the feminine power that that's yeah. come about that um, we saw it with Eleanor and Gloucester when um, she manipulates him into doing what yep. she wants by saying, "Oh well, pff, I guess I'm not going to tell you my dreams then." if you're just gonna get mad and you commented on it when we were watching yeah. the, the film <laughs> yeah. that it's like women are really good at that like guilt tripping and yeah. it's like well you know i guess i guess sure sure yeah it's but, fine but um but that's that's one method of power that's granted to to women and then you have margaret of anjou who is also scheming and yeah and does and a similar does thing with very henry. similar yeah. thing with yeah. henry and and suffolk and um in a in a play where there is so much masculine power to have Eleanor conjuring witches and being this very proto Lady Macbeth Lady Macbeth character ambitious yeah very ambitious and willing to do whatever it takes to see her husband crowned and um even though her husband is nothing like Macbeth um that's that's an interest she's an interesting character and then to have Marg de Manjou who is um she is the ambitious one out of the king and queen Mm -hmm. she she almost I mean, she doesn't set them in motion, but she directly participates in all of these plots to unseat yep. the other people who are threatening her position. Yeah. Her position, yeah. not not even the king's position. She doesn't even care. Yeah. And then by the end, like when, I remember when um, when Henry swoons at the news that his uncle has died, has been killed. He doesn't know he's been killed, but when he dies, um, in the production we watch, she catches him and holds him like a baby, and yeah. she's like mothering him. But and then she, but then she berates him also. She for, does. She like, like leans why into are you him. Mad that he's dead. I'm here. Yeah, Aren't exactly. You happy that I'm here. Like- exactly. <laughs> and and then like she openly uh, grieves Suffolk's death by carrying his fucking head around yes. pardon my french but that's just <laughs> she's like holding his severed head in her hands and the king is like i think if i died you probably wouldn't feel half yeah. as bad as you yeah. do for this guy and she's like no, no i I'm, would i would die if you died like yeah. <laughs> while she's holding her lover's head at her breast like it's 
she's just so yeah. brazen about it. And then yeah. by the end, she's she's telling him to get away from the battle. Yeah, she's like, you need, you to, need to leave. Yeah, or else we're dead. Like, yeah. <laughs> and and she's the one who seems like she'll she will charge into battle yeah. if she has to. And the king is completely unable to do that. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting that you have um two different Two women who have, and not even mentioning Marjorie Dordain, who is who is a conjurer, and yeah. they have a special place, as we talked about in our Women of Shakespeare episode. Um, the witches and everything mm-hmm. have a special place in Shakespeare's canon, but um, but to have these two powerful women who uh, Eleanor has a downfall, um, Margaret will eventually have a downfall, but um, but here they're both presented as as powerful in their own right, yeah. but it's a different kind of power, yeah. I guess it's kind of like the Duke of York's scheming and and everything. And there isn't really a, yeah. a whole lot of, you know, if they were using sex to get what they wanted, which they aren't really doing. Yeah. Maybe Margaret is, but yeah, it's not. Super, it's not. Yeah, yeah the, it's it's not overt, but it wouldn't have been necessarily. No, I think so. So maybe it's it's a half. It's five and a half. Well, types it, of power. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, and it's interesting because uh, there are a lot of gendered references in the. In yes. the text itself, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, England being made a woman. Yeah, in being France. emasculated yeah, being because emasculated. they lost France. You know, being made a eunuch and stuff. Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of stuff about that. And uh, York, you know, uh, is the, the typical man. Right. He's, he's willing to take action. And he's, Henry is not. You know, and that's and that's the great thing about the, like when we first watched Henry the Sixth Part One, uh, which is again the same actors, um, there's like this 45, 50 year old guy playing who's supposed to be like a 15 year old uh, young King Henry. Well, a nine month old at the beginning. <laughs> the start, yeah, Time is a very fluid yeah, concept yeah, in this for sure. trilogy. <laughs> but um, but we both remarked like he's very kind of like just small. Like he's, he's yes, very he's uh, narrow. He has and, a gaunt yeah. face but yeah. his hair is styled in like a page boy cut. Yeah. It's very it's feminine without but almost in a like he reminds me of uh, the Admiral in, in Star Wars. Akbar? No. <laughs> oh yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Ah, oh, I can't think of his name. But yeah, he does look like him. You know, he kind of like does. Is it him? It's not know. him. It couldn't be him. We should look this. We up. We should look this up. But anyways, uh, so uh, he is, and in this version, it works very well because that that uh, that smallness mm-hmm. is also eventually very feminized and his he's got you know the flappy wrists and you know it's a lot of like very kind of like stereotypically effeminate movements and stuff that they've they've grafted onto this character and it so it makes a lot of sense within the larger context of uh england as the king has become feminized and then york strides in and he is kicking ass taking Mm -hmm. names all out of bubblegum swinging between his legs all out of bubblegum he's all out of bubblegum because he's kicking ass and chewing bubblegum he's all out of bubblegum you've never heard that phrase no i've heard i've the one from the it crowd where he's like i came here to drink milk or <laughs> no same thing i guess same i've just never yeah, heard yeah, that yeah. one before okay but, well there it's but yes he, yeah. you're right he's he is very even more so than any of the other like winchester who is a cardinal and yeah kind of has a, a strange relationship because because he's a man of god he can't really you don't really sexualize and plus he's very old so no and, and but, he's, but he's also still like kind of violent but you know he's just a priest like he's not actually gonna do much fighting yeah, yeah and suffolk is is kind of beholden to everything that margaret wants so yeah. he's kind of emasculated um there aren't any other characters um once gloucester is dead yeah there aren't any other characters who truly embody a a masculine um ideal i yeah. guess except for york 
Except for York. Yeah. And, so, and Warwick maybe. Maybe Warwick, well, yeah. yeah. But yeah. but Warwick and York are pretty much yeah, the, the same, same character yeah, that's <laughs> true. at many points. So um so yeah, it's interesting that I mean, these are all things that are that are uh of the time. We wouldn't necessarily no. consider feminizing and masculinizing characters as a thing we should do today no it wouldn't well it just wouldn't be something that's talked about because we'd have a wider range of we do gender Genders, expression and yeah. stuff available but, but in so. in this play i mean it's it's very clear that masculine is good and feminine is yeah, bad yeah it's not um, subtle about it, it's yeah. not subtle at all to do law next i want to do law and i also want to talk about the violence okay do you want to do violence next then sure okay um so this is a really violent play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of depiction of beheadings and heads yeah. being paraded around. Yeah. You've got um, Suffolk is his head is brought to Margaret as we mentioned, yeah. um, and she literally carries it around in the in the bloodied cloth that it's brought to her in, and um, and Jack Cade's head is brought to the king as well, so he can look upon the face of the man who has caused him so much trouble. Yeah. Uh, and there's also those two guys on pikes. Yes. They were just Lord Say, I think, and his son-in-law right. or something like that. Right. And they're made to kiss one another. Yes. It's another it's, kind of, it's, yeah. It's almost like Titus Andronicus level yeah, violence. Um, violence, which yeah. is really interesting because for a time when there wasn't, I mean, we're heading into a time of great battle and and violence, but this is a very violent, oh, n- not even mentioning Gloucester his dead body is yeah. literally on stage and they dissect not literally but they dissect <laughs> yeah. the way he looks and and determine that he was murdered because his eyes are bulging out and he's got blood his face is black and full of blood and and he's he's shown to be dead and it was a violent death and he died winchester dies a very violent death um in bed but he's confessing his soul and it's meant that that a violent death means that you had a, a, a soul that wasn't pure. And yeah. so um, there's some divine retribution happening there. It's just the violence is is all over this play. It's actually, it was alarming almost because I wasn't expecting it from from a history play, I guess, outside of battles. This, yeah. There are no battles really aside well, from the Saint Battle Albans, of St. Albans at the very yeah. end. But there, it's not like part one where there are death scenes, but they're glorious death scenes. Yeah. Talbot gets a big speech before he dies and... And it's very, yeah. you know, English patriotism. Yeah, yeah. this is Here, very, like, gruesome, like, especially yeah. uh, Winchester's death. Like, he's hacking and, like, yeah. screaming and he's in pain. Like, he's shuddering with pain. Right. And they're like, oh, well, you know, he's dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, maybe he, he must should... not have been a good guy. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly, yeah. Or, or to have Suffolk, you know, pleading his case in, in a very strange way, as Aiden mentioned, you know, appealing to his titles and land holdings and all the money he has. Um, in order to stave off death or yeah. Lord say, you know, debating with the people who are going to be yeah, killing, killing him, him before yeah. he dies. Um, it's, it's a, it's a violent play. Yeah. And I don't know if that shocked you as much as it shocked me, but it's, it was noteworthy. I just wanted to bring it up. Yeah. I, I, I didn't notice it so much when I was reading because you don't, you don't see how much time is going to be devoted. Like right. the, the, the battle scenes and the, the killings were kind of gruesome and they do, there's just a heft to it when you're, yeah. when you're watching it being performed mm-hmm. that way. So, uh, on, on, on the, the screen as I'm reading it, I'm just like, Oh yeah, yeah. He dies. Okay. You know, but right. when you actually devote the time to like, Oh, they're going to walk him off stage now and he's going to be talking and then the ax comes down right, right as he's, right as he's blubbering on yeah. stupid Suffolk, you know, yeah. like that's, that that has more weight so yeah it, it did 
I didn't notice it so much, but it did. Uh, now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah. Well, and I can't figure gross. out what it what it means. Like, why why is there so much violence? Is it is it because this is a prologue to war, or is it because um, there's a cancer in in yeah, the body something royal runs in the state of Denmark? Oh, England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like, I I'm trying to figure out as I'm sitting here. I don't have any great insights into it, but it's something that I'm that I'm going to be thinking about for a while. It's just why the violence was a rampant and be depicted so yeah. often in such a way mm-hmm. like it almost seems like um you know the cutting off of, of someone's head is supposed to kill the the it, it it it's it's a metaphor i think for killing the state you know yeah. if you're going to cut off and, it, off, and it's yeah. going to lead to as we know for part three and if we know our history um the the death of henry the sixth yeah. at the hands of Edward the fourth is coming. And so it seems like all of these people are striving to cut off the head of the state, which is the King. And instead we've got all these other people having their heads. There must be something to that, but I think you nailed it. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, It's it's all about, you know, this headless state, (laughs) you know, and where is it it going? Because, because you're right. Like even, even though there is a King, it, it doesn't feel like it's a, it's a very, it's, it's headless already yeah exactly right? yeah and there are all these people vying for power yeah it's it's like a hydra now it's yeah. not it's yeah, not exactly. a, a a powerful yeah um anyway no that's a really good the other thing that that bothers me not bothers me but it was noteworthy for me is how the law is kind of perverted in this play yeah so we've got a state i think aiden has has played it out pretty well already with this this state of um flux when it comes to how power is being meted out and and devoured i guess uh and then you have the perversion of the law in so many situations Mm -hmm. here i think the first time is when there are um there's a guy uh, and his apprentice apprentice, yeah. yeah who um come in with this this levy of treason against the Duke of York. Yeah. They're petitioning the king. They're supplicants, right? Yeah. They're petitioning the king for leniency or whatever. And it ends up being that that they have to fight each other in battle. Yeah, it's trial um, by combat. Trial by also combat. Also Game of Thrones, yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but this, this trial by combat does not... I, well, I don't think that was a feature of English common law. I, I think it might have been. Was it? But it was... And it was like, God will decide the winner, right? But I mean, it's it's just a stupid fucking idea. But it yeah, the, but I mean, the fact that, and the play takes an interesting twist on this because, right, the guy who loses right before he is killed, he's like, I confess I committed treason. And then right. he dies. Right. And it's like, well, was he just trying to get, like, was he yeah. confessing so that he wouldn't have to be killed right then? Like, it's really not clear. It's yeah. still ambiguous. So yeah, yeah there's, it's very. Well, and yeah. the same thing happens with Winchester when he confesses on his deadbed, yeah. deathbed. But what is he confessing to? Yeah. Because really right clear. before that, he was kind of suggesting that he, he had nothing to do with Gloucester's yeah. death. Yeah. But then he's confessing. So um, it's almost like the confession itself um, is, is seen as uh absolution mm-hmm. in a way yeah like if i confess then the bad thing that i'm thinking yeah. is going to come isn't going to come yeah and that's not how it works no um but yeah so the, that that is one instance of 
of legal justice being meted out unfairly. You've also got um, Simcox, the the man who comes in, who says that he was oh, yeah. blind and now he can see. That's right, I forgot. And Gloucester is involved with that, yeah, and it's one yeah. of the things that's levied against him yeah. in a later scene. But he correctly deduces that this man was lying about yeah. having no sight to begin with through some clever use of wordplay and, and yeah. asking him what color is my cloak and what color is his cloak and if you were blind from birth how would you know what red is and yeah. black and yeah. that kind of thing and then he also says that his legs don't work and then they start whipping him and of course he jumps up and runs away so both he and his wife are are whipped through the town for their lies right and it seems like such a like why would you be punishing these people for something that doesn't like i, I don't understand oh see i took it the opposite i okay. that is the one good carriage of justice because there was this strong Gloucester figure there because sure. they were lying. They were, they were faking their way to fame and fortune in okay. the medieval ages, right? Okay. Is if you're, if you were healed by a saint, then there people are going to treat you well and the church will probably take care of you for the rest of your life. Well, because- I, and I, okay. I guess I see that. It just, um, it just seems a little bit harsh and it, and I, I yeah. felt like it was the one charge levied against Gloucester, like for the unnatural yeah, punishments. punishments yeah, punishments, that, yeah. Then I was like, okay, like I, I, I get that, it. Yeah. I don't think he should die for it, no. but I get it. Like he <laughs> yeah. did do that thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But it, it does seem like it's an instance of of um, the people trying to get get theirs however they can. Yeah. And it's it kind of sets up, like even though the distance between Simcox and Jack Cade's Rebellion and all the common people at that point is vast. There's a lot of play in between those two scenes. They almost feel like they're in different plays yeah, entirely. Yeah. But it kind of sets up where they're going. Like yeah. they're they're downtrodden a little bit. They're trying to they're just navigate looking for their any way. sort of miracle to make them Exactly. Better, yeah. So of course they're going to follow Jack Cade, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but then we get to Gloucester and his justice for Gloucester, right? Yeah, which doesn't of, happen. Yeah, because yeah. he he can um the charges that are laid against him, he can... He can refute. He can all refute of all of them successfully. And what he's eventually arrested for are crimes he has not yet committed, yeah. but may commit. Yeah. So we're going to arrest him yeah. anyway. He's a threat, therefore yes. we're going to arrest him. And it's like that is such a perversion of justice yeah. for an innocent man that we know is innocent, yeah. that Henry knows is innocent, and he allows this to happen. So it's almost like all of this stuff that comes after it is a kind of retribution for this perversion of justice that's going on in the court yeah. of Henry VI. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there's there's a few other kind of mock trials that also come up. Right. There's the clerk who's pulled up and he just asked a couple. Yes. Jack Kate asked him a couple questions. He's like, exactly. yeah, I can write my own name. Hang him. He's a witch, kind of thing. Right. You know, like, right. Not quite, but yeah. Uh, and then there's uh, finally the the speaking of a trial by combat. There's kind of the Battle of St Albans is right. kind of a, a, a trial before God of who should be king. Right. Um, and so it's because they don't really get into who has the superior numbers or mm-hmm. you know anything. It's literally just like you're supposed to view them as equal noble, nobility. York and, and and yeah, Henry's team yeah, of misfits. Basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, and so when York just wins in hand to hand combat, as yeah. in the BBC version, they devote a very lengthy fight scene between him and. Uh, some guy from the north. I don't remember. He was just introduced in like the near the end of the play. Right. But anyways, uh, the two of them battle it out and it's a hard fought win. And then eventually York wins. And it's like, well, that's because God is with him. Right. And, you know, and it's kind right. of like that trial is also being played out over the course of the yeah. the play as well. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of different, uh, again, 
looks and takes on how the law works. Right. And the 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 first one, I guess, would be the, the trial of Margaret or sorry, of Eleanor of yeah. Yeah. Gloucester. Oh, I forgot about it. Yeah. Which which, <laughs> yeah, is is a witchcraft trial. But yeah. um, in that case, it's interesting because the lower class, there's four witches who are sent immediately to the gallows. Yeah. And. Eleanor, because she's of higher birth, is just exiled, right? Because that's how justice was never fair. No. And it still to this day is not fair. (laughs) Depending on who you are, you're going to get a different sentence than you than you would just. Or have access to better lawyers, even if that's much, yeah. So so the appeal to the law as an arbiter of truth and justice is kind of bullshit. Yeah. And and it's shown really shows that, yeah. It's really shown here. So not only do you have power being decided through some very strange means of battles and you have legal battles being fought in very strange ways and and it really does signify how messed up the system is yeah and no wonder the wars of the roses had to happen in order to set things to rights right yeah you and and as we talked about in our wars of the roses episode this goes back and duke of york takes it all the way back to edward the third and so that's a hundred years earlier yeah and so this is something that's been festering for a very long time in the English body politic, and it doesn't really resolve itself until after the death of uh, Henry the Seventh. Yeah, I guess. Maybe into the reign of Henry the Eighth. Well, but even then, I mean, like, yeah, with Elizabeth was always kind of had a tenuous hold on. on but the at least then it was Gloriana. There was it was a period of relative yes. peace and prosperity. Yeah. So this is what we're celebrating. This is when all the art can flourish and we can start talking about this again. Yeah. But this is now two hundred years removed from when these things actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and look at what we had to go through to get where we are now and it's not over it doesn't really end you're right no, until yeah. until maybe william and mary of orange come and sit on the throne in the yeah but yeah i mean that it's it's um well it, once it's moved into a actual parliament where exactly most, where most of the powers were yes. removed from yes. uh, a, a the, king who king. rules for life and can decide everything with the whim of a hat Drop of a hat? Are they, Drop of are, a women hat. Is England a constitutional monarchy? It is a constitutional okay, monarchy. Okay, they are. Yeah. Even though their constitution is a little bit messed up. Yep. Yeah. I'd still classify them that. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a kind of an interesting way of, of looking at the, at the history of England. Yeah. And the history of the kings of England. Um, kings and queens of England. But to have it be set up in such a way that power... I think that's a perfect perfect way to to phrase it as you did, Aiden. Is that power is the central um, theme yeah. of the play? Yeah, for sure. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Uh, I just wanted to comment. Uh, part of what made this uh, part of the Henry trilogy much easier to read was the writing. I thought was much better. So much better. The, there was just. Far much, it felt like Shakespeare. Uh, maybe yeah. for the first time, even in Two Gentlemen of Verona, it wasn't quite there. Uh, you know, Taming of the Shrew has some lovely passages, and, mm-hmm. it, but it's a very kind of quick moving uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still a lot of things. Here, they really gave the characters time and, and space to kind of explore the poetry, and they're yeah. all very noble born. You know, there's no limitations on how they're going to talk. Yeah. They also get Jack Cade has some funny, you know, interesting yes. one liners and stuff. Yes. Um, but, you know, even. Oddly enough, the the passage between Margaret and Suffolk, uh, you know, there's there's he's telling the queen this. Tis not the land I care for. Went thou whence? A wilderness is populous enough. So Suffolk had thy heavenly company. For where thou art, there is the world itself. 
with every several pleasure in the world and where thou art not desolation. Right. right like right. that's, that's really yeah. great writing yeah. on Shakespeare's part. Um, and that's the first time I remember reading. I'm like, that's a really good, like love passage yeah. in, in so far right. uh, as we've been going linearly through the plays. Right. Um, so I think that's just a portent of things to come probably. Uh, what, what interests me about these plays is that the charge that um, Henry the sixth part one was, so bad means that it must have been written first. Yeah. Um, I read another essay that suggests that it's possible that that was the first one that he wrote collaboratively mm-hmm. and that that's why it suffers and yeah. that maybe this was written more on his own. And, yeah. and I mean, that forces you to uh, kind of buy into the, yeah, the, the myth genius of, of Shakespeare, Shakespeare myth, is yeah. a genius, which if you know anything about Elizabethan drama – the collaboration was probably more common. At least fifty percent of the plays were written collaboratively. So, and and there was no um, cult of personality at this point around no. Shakespeare. So, um, it's it's a weird thing to think about for us to think about Shakespeare writing collaboratively. But maybe that's one of the reasons why. I guess the opposite could be true, and that maybe this is elevated because somebody else helped him write at Marlowe or mm-hmm. something. But um, but. It, there is a significant difference in the yeah. language and the writing from this play to the last one. Mm-hmm. And I was re-listening just a little while ago to our uh, part one episode. Yep, and I said I was dreading the other two plays. <laughs> and how wrong could I have been? Yeah. This is this was such an easy read. It was such yeah. an interesting play. Not so interesting to watch, although it was nice to kind of see it brought to life. Yeah. But, um, but it was so much easier to read because it does feel very poetic and beautiful in a way that um yeah just doesn't you don't get that in the first play you didn't really get it in two gentlemen of verona which was very uh tell don't show almost yeah in a lot of ways taming of the shrew had a little bit but yeah this was definitely the first play that i was like yeah i'm reading shakespeare you know it felt really good there was also the famous line the first thing we do let's kill all the lawyers which is of course you know a standby of course so yeah the first famous there's there's <laughs> one liner yeah. yeah there was also some great lines about bickering that we may have to pull into our That's podcast right. here for the little intertitles that we have maybe we'll do it right here if i longer stay we shall begin our ancient bickerings all right in this session of did we decide on name i asked this every I, week i know and, every episode. and we edit these episodes and we listen to it and we don't, we don't, remember, we don't remember it, it. it's it. like in one ear and out the other yeah so debating this week is yeah. the the topic of who is the good guy in this in Henry the Sixth Part yeah. Two? Um, Lindsay, I'm going to let you go first. Who's the good guy in this play? I really think the good guy is is the Duke of York. Is that what you were going to say? Uh, possibly. Possibly. I know you <laughs> had a couple different reasons. Ones, but, yeah. Well, I just think that um, it it's really hard. I wouldn't even call him a really good guy. He's yeah. kind of just. He's the, the best of the bad options. Yeah, like the lesser of multiple evils. Because yeah. there really isn't a good guy in this play. Yeah. Even Henry the Sixth. I I debated <laughs> was, saying Henry the Sixth. I was going to say Henry the Sixth. Okay, so. so we're kind of on the. Yeah. I mean, there there are arguments to be made for both, but I think just the fact that the Duke of York is, as you put it, um, he's pragmatic, he's powerful, and he knows how to use that power. And he's driven, but he's driven in a way that isn't overblown. He's not. He doesn't have that overleaping ambition that yeah. Macbeth has so so he puts it to good use um he's I think the only character that I can see being a quote-unquote hero um or yeah. protagonist well, he knows what yeah. he wants and he's gonna go out and get it and um 
and he does it without unnecessary meanness and malice. Yeah, you yeah. Know? He doesn't. He doesn't kill anybody just because he kills them in battle because right. they're directly opposing him. Yes. And he, at one point, I think he even says like, "If we were not." across the field maybe that was Warwick talking to someone else but yeah. so at some point someone in his crew is like I would happily I would much rather be friends with you but right. we're fighting right now right. Um, you know he's he's got that kind of chivalrous nature to him yeah um, yeah. so I, I definitely get that the hero of the play I would absolutely say is, is York because he is there to correct all the wrongs that Henry yeah that's that's almost what I'm what I'm thinking about is that he's he's the the fixer yeah. you know who is going to set things to rights which is Funny and ironic, considering that his son becomes the evil Richard the Third, who <laughs> kills the princes in the tower and loses it all. You know, Richard the uh, Third is his Henry the Sixth. You know, he's yeah, he's yeah. the Henry the Fifth character in that family. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a there's a, a kind of um, a heroism, I guess, to what he does. I don't yeah. love him. I don't think he's a yeah. hero in the way that. Well, even Henry the Fifth or something. Yeah, yeah he he's, like he's not very, noble in no. any way. But, <laughs> he's very self-serving and stuff. Yeah, but in the con, like in 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 the context of this play, which is populated by fifty-two other assholes, <laughs> he's the least asshole. Well, I see. I still have to give the title to Henry the Sixth. Okay, why? Because he he literally, and this is the problem with Henry the Sixth, and it's also the reason he is the good guy, is that he does not have any ambition whatsoever. Right. He literally just wants to see people get along. He wants everybody to be happy. He wants, you know, there's a He's part, a PBS like, after school special. He is. He is the Mr. Yes. Rogers of this yes. neighborhood yes. if it was a war zone. Like yes. it's not like Mr. <laughs> Rogers would have to pull out an AK and start shooting some fuckers up because he, he'd adapt. And this, Henry VI did not adapt. Yeah. He's, he's still just, you know, Very happy naive to see and Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's he is a, a positive figure in that way in the sense that he he wishes no ill on really anybody even mm-hmm. at the end he's not the one leading his armies right. to fight york uh, he leaves it to that guy from the north oh, i forgot his name now um but yeah there's so he's he's literally the one character that we see everybody else even the people just following jack cade you know they're they're making fun of him and they're making fun of their their leader they're also you know willing to stab him in the back at the first turn i guess there is that other the guy who kills jack cade is yeah alexander something or other yeah uh he's he's a very kind of noble straightforward guy he's like he doesn't even want to kill jack cade he's like oh well you're starving to death i guess i'll just stab you and you know yeah. he doesn't even really seem to want to kill him he's well he doesn't know he who doesn't he know who he is yeah. when he once he finds out who he is he's like well fuck yeah, you i'm gonna him. yeah i'm definitely. gonna stab you i'm gonna drag you out to the dunghill <laughs> cut off your head and let the crows feast on your body yeah yeah like so he, gets then, yeah, violent, yeah, he gets but, a little violent but yeah but it's justified because it's jack cade yeah yeah but, but henry henry the sixth doesn't even have bad in him really no. like even when he's seen, oh let me look at his face so i can see the man who caused me so many problems he doesn't want to like you know put him on a spike and burn him to hell no. like you know it's it's very much meek and mild and yeah just meek and mild and just a genuinely nice guy it's I not said a that, fault no it's not a fault but no. well it is a fault as a king it is a fault as a period. king but it's not a fault as a character so i totally understand why, yeah. why you would want to and maybe maybe okay maybe you're right he's the good guy because <laughs> he doesn't have a bad bone in his body it's true um and we talked about that in the war of the roses episode this, yes that was the historical precedent yeah like he really did not do anything as a king and that yeah. was because he did, he had no evil bones in his body he wasn't yes. a very good king yes and that that is maybe a symptom of of history you know the historical record there were probably good things that Henry VI did that are not as 
publicized, I guess, yeah. that we don't know about or that we don't focus on because yeah. this legend about him being such a bad king, such a bad and effectual king, have survived, lived and, through Shakespeare, exactly. And stuff, and, you know? and you definitely can't look to a Shakespearean play to tell you the actual history, yeah. right? This is propaganda. Yeah. Um, but at the same time. It does seem like on balance, he leaned more towards, you know, he was a bump on a log. He yeah, really wasn't. He really was. And, and there wouldn't have been this fight for power had he been a little bit more forthright. Well, and, and that's the problem, though, is that uh, it, it is a confluence of factors that led to this. Like, if they weren't at war in France all the time, if he wasn't yeah. expected to be also the king of France fighting against the, right. the you know, the, what's his name? The Dauphin. The yeah, in, in France. Um, maybe if he was literally, if he was in Elizabeth's position. Yes, and there was a time would, of great peace and Yeah, prosperity. and he wasn't expected to lead great armies or, you know, the squabble. Spanish yeah. Armada. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay, yeah. I guess. Elizabeth, but the, yeah. you know, the storm killed that one. So. Yes, that's true. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's 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 a combination of the circumstances. I mean, I don't yes. think he would have ever been a good CEO in, no. in common days either. Like you need a bit of ruthless instinct for some of these things. So he, he would never have been a great leader, but he could have perhaps been a passable king in another yeah. time period. Yeah. Especially it's, maybe if he wasn't raised from, if he wasn't the king since nine months old. You well, know? and that's that's something that he even comments on in the play is that he was a, he was a king for as long as he can remember and and he's like i've never been happy with this yeah. with this role even he acknowledges that he would have been much happier as a man of god or in a pasture somewhere i can't remember the quote yeah. but but he references the fact that this was never his ambition this was not something that he wanted and uh, and it, it kind of makes you feel sad for him because you know in as much as you can feel sad for somebody who was born into the lap of luxury <laughs> yeah. um he didn't want this to happen yeah. York wants it to happen. He, yeah. whether he wants it for the power, or he wants it because of the lack of power, and he thinks he can do better. It's still the fact that he's seeking it out and he's going to make it happen um, that makes him heroic. Yeah. But yeah, a good guy, probably not. Probably not. So okay, fine. I guess I'll give it to you this time, Aiden. Henry Henry the Sixth is the good guy in the play. He's a good boy. <laughs> 14 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> we you could. Kings. You just rub his head and you feel better. That's true. Exactly. So what are we doing next? Uh, next, I believe, is our... We are going to take a break from... We've been focusing on history a lot. I think we're going to broaden the next uh, episode. Special be, episode? It's, well, not a special episode, but it'll be a, a topical episode. I think we're going to do top five characters. Ooh, you and okay. I are going to go back and forth and, and name our top five. So uh, that's what we're looking at for in two weeks' time. So uh, Then we'll jump back into Henry the yeah, Sixth, Henry the Sixth part, part Three, three where we yes. get into the nitty-gritty of the Wars of the Roses yeah, as I, depicted by Shakespeare. Yeah, and I'm interested because, I mean, a lot happened after this point in history. Oh, like, yeah. This We've was only just, just gotten to 1455. <laughs> yeah. Right? Exactly. There's a lot to go between now and Richard the Third, which we have read before. Yes. Neither of us read Part Three. So I'm really interested to see how they handle Edward the Fourth. Like, what do yeah. they... He he had one line in yes. this in this and he was part. a child he was yeah. a little boy no no he in this in the production of bbc at least they showed him as a uh, oh, a fully grown man yeah, yeah i guess that's true yeah but i mean you know he becomes king fairly soon yeah and he doesn't have any character build up yet right. uh yeah there's just there's a lot of interesting stuff so and then the flip-flopping between edward and henry and edward and henry yeah. as as henry lapses in and out of uh catatonia yeah um well and, i want to see how as war, and i want to see how warwick yes. betrays edward the third edward the fourth like that's gonna be yeah. really cool so. yeah so there's a lot that's gonna happen we literally only got into the first 
Battle of St. Albans, and yeah. there are so many other battles to, yeah. to come. So so that'll be really interesting. I'm actually looking forward to it. So I take back what I said in the last episode. I'm not dreading Henry the Oh, the man, maybe this is going to flip-flop, and now it's going to be terrible. Yeah, maybe. We'll, we'll see. see. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.